Welcome to the PWE and Me podcast, a place where we talk about the workplace, how it's changing, and ways that we can create an experience at work that is inspiring, real, and motivates us to bring our best self to work. PWE, what is it? Well, it's an acronym for Purposeful Workplace Experience. I'm on a mission to help our workplaces shift from being transactional to transformational, and PWE is how we will get there. My name is Carolyn Suara, your host and creator of PWE. We've got another episode of PWE and me about to begin, and it's uh, a bit of a cloudy day here in uh, the Toronto area, and I am uh, very excited to have a guest uh, on a, on our show today who's from the West Coast, and I believe it's probably doing um, less raining out there, but maybe not. Hernani Elves, the founder and chief motivation officer at Balanced IQ, is joining us today. Welcome, Hernani. Hi, Carolyn. Yes, you're talking about the weather. Tomorrow, yeah. we're going to hit triple digits here, which is 100 degrees Fahrenheit. I'm not sure what that is in Come Celsius. On. <laughs> wow. So um, do you have lots of sun? Because we've got like a nice cloudy day and I actually even have socks and a sweatshirt on today. Fall came out of nowhere and it's not even fall yet. Yeah, I know. If I wasn't dressed up, I'd probably be in shorts oh, for dear. sure. All right. Well, I will uh, nice. I will take in that uh, bright sunshine that you have out there for our conversation today. So, um really glad that uh, that you could come on. Um you know, we met uh, we met through um actually we've never formally met face to face, but we've certainly exchanged a few emails and uh, it was a fellow author that connected us. Yeah, she did. She introduced me to you and I had uh, looked into your rules of engagement book and that's what inspired me because uh, I'm a big culture guy. And uh, culture is about the people, and that's what I love that your book is, book is focused on. Yeah, well, and right back at you, because I know I've dug, uh, dug into your book as well, Balanced Accountability, and uh, I'm really excited to talk about that and what you, what you shared in your book. And one of the things I loved about the way you wrote, Hernani, is just how humble you were in sharing your stories about your own leadership journey, good and not so good. Um, and it really just, it makes it so much more real for people. And, and I know that in the culture work that I do, I'm continually reinforcing with people it doesn't matter what level you're at, what position you have, you know, you can play a role in creating a safe, um, well, not even just a safe, but like a place that people want to be. And you had some great stories in, in your book. So why don't we, why don't we just start off and hear a little bit about what inspired you to write, write your book, Balanced Accountability? Yeah, it's so true. Early on in my career, I thought I was Mr. Perfect, you know, I was kind of at a young age, and I realized later in life, after making a tremendous amount of mistakes and learning from them, that that was healthy. But there's nobody <laughs> that's really perfect on this on this planet, right? There's always right. room for improvement. Yep. So, yeah. So I started off uh, working for this store, and uh, it was only going to be temporary. I was only actually helping out a friend, and it was called Sleep Train Mattress Centers. You know, I didn't go to school to work for a mattress store. Right. Um, right. So it's only about six months, and then this position came up. I was one of their top salespeople uh, during those six months, and the store that opened up was in Stockton, California, and it was available to apply. And I was like, I've only been here six months, but let me just go ahead and go through the process. 
and I did, and I got it. You know, I, in six months, I got the job. Couldn't believe wow. it. Wow. And you were like 23, you said, right? So young and thinking you owned everything. Oh yeah. I was on, I was on top of it. I knew everything, right? It's just when you're kind of young that age, you just can't make mistakes. Right. And then I realized I got this job because no one else applied and they called this place the kind of the graveyard. This is where people went there to kill their careers. Mm. Um, so, so you can imagine my first day walking in, how excited the, the staff was there. <laughs> and they've already at this point gone through a few managers. And what I didn't know was that they were going to close the store. It was only temporary. They was going to get through the lease and then close the store because it just wasn't profitable. And how many months did like, how many months away was the closing going to happen? I think it was probably within a year and a half. It was fairly okay. close. I didn't hear this until later um, about it, but it, it we got in there in, the, in two months just to kind of give you an idea that the store was doing about 50000 a month, which really wasn't breaking even once you take in all the expenses. And in the second month, we tripled the store's business to doing north of 150000 in sales. Wow. Um, so you must have been yeah. feeling pretty good about yourself. Oh, we're on, on cloud nine. Just uh, as again, I just felt invincible. And then my margin too. You would think, well, he gave everything away. No, actually raised the margin by 10 percentage points. I just created value in the product and uh, got the team embraced behind it. And we were killing it, doing a great job in a good way. Yeah. So, so then what, like what happened? The store stayed open. You became the best performing store in the whole front, like in the whole company. Where did oh, it go? Oh yeah. I should have, at this point we had 40 stores uh, all together and I'm thinking, well, I'm going to be manager of the year. I'm going to win president's <laughs> club. I mean, I'm, I'm your guy. I mean, I'm going to be running this company very, very soon. Right. That was kind of my mentality. And I remember my district sales manager coming down. He, it was about an hour and a half away. He called and said, hey, I want to take you to lunch. And I'm like, absolutely. We're going to go to Ruth Chris. Right. That's what I'm thinking in my mind. Ruth Chris is a really nice steakhouse. Right. We have a few of those in Canada. Yep. So we're yeah. with you. So you're going to go for a nice steak dinner, celebrate how awesome you are, hear about your next promotion. Exactly. Yeah. So we get there and he goes, do you know why I'm sitting down with you and bringing you here? I'm like, yeah, because we're doing such a great job. My staff's uh, on top on top of the leaders board. They're making their bonus checks. And he goes, kind of. He goes, do you know that your staff doesn't want to work with you anymore? <gasps> oh. Yeah. I mean, you got to be kidding me. There's just no way they don't want to work with me or Nana. I mean, we're, we're on we're on top of the world. Do they want to go? Are you going to give me another store? You know, you want me to go run a bigger store? That was kind of my mentality. Right. And he, and he goes, no, do you, do you know what your nickname is? Do you know what your staff calls you? Mm. And I don't know if I can share it here in some of the podcasts I've done. It's, they sometimes beep it out. Uh, yeah. But, well, unless, well, let's just say they changed one of the letters in your name, right? Yes, they yeah. did. They yeah. did. So, so it wasn't, it wasn't a nice term. It wasn't. So, Change that last N to a Z, and that's yeah. like the worst thing you can call a human being. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I couldn't believe it. Uh, so at that point, I'm crushed. I went from on top of the world to, oh my gosh, my staff doesn't like me. They're calling me that. What am I going to do? And it, it, it was it was it was kind of a, a big humble pie, and I'm so glad he did that. That was like one of my very first lessons to feedback. Wow. And I could have gone two ways with that. Oh, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say at the age of 23, like that's, that's a gift to get that kind of feedback that, that young. Yeah. And that, that made me so much more humble. I started really appreciating uh, that 
I, it's not exactly what I was telling my staff, but it was what I, how I was making them feel. Right. And I wasn't making them feel very good, even though they were on top of their game. They're they're the most successful they've ever been. This was going to be short term. This wasn't going to be long term. Well, and it says a lot about the manager that you had at the time, because, you know, let's let's face it. um, I'm surprised that that manager even sat you down to say that instead of saying this is great. Just keep it up because you were you know, you were killing the numbers. And quite often people like just the numbers. Absolutely. And what I found out is when you say accountability in the workplace, it freaks people out. They're like, Mm. especially this time and age, they're like, no way. You can't bring that in here because if you do, everyone's going to leave. I mean, everything's got to be you can't have any accountability. Uh, you just got to let them kind of have fun and they'll take care of themselves. And couldn't be further from the truth. But um, that, that district manager, his name's Matt Jessel, and he's in the book. He's, uh, he's one of my very first mentors. And what I found out about his history is he was an athlete. So he played sports and baseball, football. And so f- for him to give feedback, that was easy. That was mm. something that he uh, was able to do and he believed in it because it makes you better. And when right. you talk to athletes that some of them hire an accountability coach, right? Uh, just to focus on that. So, so I ended and up. So, oh, yeah. Great. So where did that take you? So you, so you were 23, you got this like bit of humble pie. Um, how does that, how does that lead to a book? Are you 24 now? Like I'm guessing that a little <laughs> bit has happened between 23 and the book. 24 and a half. There we go. <laughs> no, it was a few <laughs> decades later, but this was really my turning point. And what ended up happening is, yeah, I ended up being the top salesperson. I ended up winning President's Club. And I was at the airport, the Sacramento airport. And you know how you go to the bookstores and they've got all this, uh, you know, kind of self-improvement section and you're going yep. through there. And I'm going through there. I'm trying to look for something like I need to, I need to become a better leader. And we all know Ken Blanchard. Uh, yeah. Right. One yep. minute manager and just all the all the great books he has. And, and there's this one book called Well Done. Uh, it's oh, w- great book. It's a nice w- short one, too. Yeah, it's right up my alley because I do not like long books. <laughs> uh, so English is my second language. So it's, I was always behind on reading and uh, I really didn't start to learn or I didn't get to the level as everybody else until my high school year. So oh, reading okay. was always a challenge for me. And not, not anymore. Now I'm a big fan. I think it's so important. Well, well done. I read it all the way to Hawaii. Yep. I read it in Hawaii, and then I read it all the way back, so three times. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I came back just – the, the more the story is, you've, you've got to be a leader that catches people doing things right versus mm. catching people doing things wrong. And that's right. what I was doing. I was your gotcha manager. I was that seagull manager. I'd fly in. I'd poop all over everything and then take off. Yeah. And yeah. so – and, and, and it's hard to, uh, you know, your intention was good. I think that's important to point out. You weren't getting up in the morning thinking, I'm going to go be a jerk today at work. You thought you were doing the right thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, I, and I was trying to reward my staff. I'd bring them donuts. I'd do those things. But the way I treated them during those eight-hour shift, it, it was just, I, I, looking back now, I'm, I'm thankful they stuck with me, but I could have totally seen why they wanted to leave. Yeah. So what happened with the store? Did it did it end up closing down? Where did you end up? So that year, I made some improvements to myself. I came in, started catching people doing things right. And guess what? We took the store even to the next level. Wow. I was only there for a few more months. I got promoted to a higher volume store. This is like the number four store in the company. Yep. And I relocated to that store. And guess who wanted to come with me? My entire staff. staff. My entire oh, staff. Wow. And uh, we couldn't move the entire staff, so I was able to bring my assistant manager over. 
but I stayed in contact with the previous staff and uh, we went to that store. Same thing happened. And so I've learned that you've, you've got to have a good balanced accountability. And that's what helped me go from being a part-time salesperson in this company to eventually becoming the president of the company. And the, and the company did north of $3 billion in sales when I left. So just to wow. give you an idea, uh, with over 15,000 employees. So this works. But yeah. it, it all, I almost well, totally screwed it up. And an important question. Did you finally get to go for the steak dinner at Ruth Chris? We did, actually. Uh, the, <laughs> I won't forget this. Our... Our, our VP of sales at the time, his name was Rob Kilgore, took our entire store out. And then uh, to, it was actually Morton's, okay. Anderson's, uh, which is another great steakhouse. And yep. went there and he took took care of us. But the, the thing I'm most proud about is that group of people that wanted to leave and gave me that horrible name. What they want, they ended up, I ended up becoming manager of the year. And wow. they ended up giving me an award for being the best leader they've ever had. And that's, to this day, my biggest accolade from, from my staff giving me that award. I still have it, and I love it. So, oh, That's yeah. amazing. That's, uh, that's pretty powerful stuff. And so, so that whole experience really inspired you to write this book and, and create what you call the three Ps of accountability, correct? Absolutely. You're right on. Well, you know, I, I was digging in. I have to say one of the first parts of your book that just captured me because we hear, um, we hear a lot about accountability. So one of the tools that, that, that we use in, in our practice at one degree, the company that I work with is uh, a Barrett values, um, report. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but people get to choose words that define their current culture and their desired culture. And it's, 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 I've never seen a survey come back where accountability has not been in the top three. So I was really drawn to the the title of your book simply for that matter. And then as I started digging into it, well, first of all, I'm a huge Packers fan, so I might oh. be giving away a little bit there, but I was very yeah. excited that you talked about Vince Lombardi. But this connection between love and accountability. And I mean, the big old L word throwing that around in the workplace, I thought this guy has the courage to talk about love and accountability. I'm digging in here. Yeah. So, so, so normally you don't say accountability in the workplace because it's like a naughty word. Right. And then I, and then I back it up. It's like a two letter word. Now I'm talking about love and they're like, yeah. what? You can't yeah. do that. I mean, this <laughs> HR, this guy should be in the HR department <laughs> exactly. written up, right? And that's crazy, but it, it, it is true. And uh, that's because you have to really self reflect and uh, an exercise I like to do is called personal histories. Cause that's what came to me is why do I have so much passion behind accountability? And it happened to me when I was nine years old uh, with my dad. I don't know if you want to hear that story or not. But. Well, you know, let's go there. I mean, let's, I mean, so this idea of accountability and recognizing that, that they're intertwined. So yeah, let's tell, like, tell that story and, and what led you to realize that they're so intertwined together. Yeah. So nine years old, we, we lived on a farm. My dad started a dairy business and he took us to Idaho. And the reason he took us to Idaho is because it was easy to get into the, the dairy business because of all the how cold it is and not a lot of lot of not a lot of places there you can be successful. So we we get there and when you're on a farm everyone has to work. It's just one of those things you just kind of help out. Yeah. No choice. At, no choice. And at 9 years old what I did is I'd get off the school bus and I would go into the barn and I would help milk the cows while my dad went and fed the cows and then we kind of all get together for dinner around 8 o'clock at night and kind of start over. 
Well, this day was a December day, really cold. I wasn't mm-hmm. looking forward to it. I get in there, relieve my dad. There's only a few cows left to kind of bring in. And one of them I saw was cow number one. Okay. And cow number one, you're going, okay, that's the first cow. What's the big deal about that? Well, this was the very first calf that was born on our dairy. And now she had grown up and had her own calf. And when that happens, you got to bring them in and milk them. Um, so here she is, like this is symbolic. I, oh my gosh, she's here! Oh, wow. And, and did she have? Did cow number one have a name? Uh, you know, I think it was just cow number one. It was just okay. number one. We used to actually just say number one. Where's number one? And we we really babied her because she was just that. We looked first at her one. as first one. Yeah, well, I, I saw. I read a um, an article one time that cows that have names actually produce more milk, but we won't go there. Oh. So she just had cow number one. I got to tell my dad that that could have been. Yeah. A secret weapon. We it should have given her a name. <laughs> <laughs> so I so the way you have to you have to bring them in through they've got this holding pin. You gotta bring them into the little pen where you can actually milk them. So I get in there, she's the very last one. She's skittish, she's never been there. And uh, so I get in there. Keep in mind I'm about seventy-five pounds. Right. Uh, probably Nine year old. Yeah, I don't even think I'm five feet yet. So I'm trying to bring in this fifteen hundred pound animal into the milking stall and I finally get her in there by this time I've got manure all over me because she was just just very skittish spraying manure all over the place right and get her in there clean her off and I try to put the machine on her and when I try to do that she kicks because she doesn't know what's going on so I give her more grain and she's not interested in the grain she's like she's caught up in this machine and she would not let me do it and it was just cold and I'm like I've had it this sucks and I open the gate and let her go without Uh milking her so I start cleaning. I got about 10 more minutes of cleaning up and then I get to go inside the house and it's going to be nice and warm and get to have dinner. Start cleaning up. And then right towards the end, I hear the manger open up again, the holding pin, the okay. chain. And I hear this cow come in and I look and there she is again. I'm like, how did she get back in? And then I hear the footsteps. You know, those footsteps where, Uh-oh. you know, you, you've done something wrong. Like B, five, um, you're busted <laughs> yep. footsteps. And I had two options. I could run as fast as I could. I could run away and never come back. And uh, I decided that those were bad because I've, I've ran away from my dad before and it gets worse. Yeah. So I well, go, yeah, I I'm gotta... guessing it, it wasn't cow number two that was creating those footsteps. It was your dad, wasn't it? It was my dad. Mm-mm. And he got a hold of me, gave me the biggest spanking I've ever gotten. Mm-mm. And uh, so I'm crying. Tears are all over the place. And and I'm thinking, okay, okay, then I'm glad that's done. Now I get to go home and shake this off. And I took like two steps towards the house, and he just grabs me by the collar, turns me around, and goes, "You go finish what you started. Don't ever do that again." You know? Wow. And he took off, and I'm like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go put this machine on her. She's crazy. Well, they make this mechanism that you put over their hips. Yep. And you, when you put over their hips, they can't kick you anymore. You put the machine on. Mm. And that's exactly what I did. I put the machine on. I put the mechanism over hips, put the machine on. And then she starts eating her grain. Everything was fine. Wow. And Why didn't you put I, those things on her hips before the first time? Cutting corners. You know, it's one mm. of those. You're you're just cold. You're just, I, I just want to get this over and done with. It's not going your way. And I think we've all been there in business where sometimes that happens. You're like, this yep. sucks. And let's just, let's just move on. Let's yeah, find this, something else to go chase. Exactly. Or I'm bored or I've, yeah, I've got something else on my mind and I don't need to worry about this. Exactly. And what I didn't know about the cows is cow number one, she was coming in. I had to get that milk from her because it has colostrum. And colostrum mm. is what you give to 
the baby and that helps with antibodies and it, it cures the baby. So here is, yep. here's something I was going to hurt the cow because the cow can get mastitis and then she's right. done. Got to give her penicillin. And then I was also holding the baby. So I didn't know how important that was at that point, but my dad taught me that lesson. And let's face it, I actually wasn't a, a big fan of my dad growing up. Mm. He always provided food on the table. He loved me greatly. My parents loved me greatly, but they held me accountable. Right. And, uh, I am so thankful. And that's where those two started coming together. I'm like, okay, when you hold, and I have kids now my, myself, when I hold them accountable, it's because I truly love them and I want yeah. them to become better. Yeah. And I want, so that's, ex- that's exactly what happened there. Well, and, and, you know, we have uh, teenagers in our house and uh, this is a big, a big topic for us too. And, you know, it, it's tough. It feels tough in the moment when you're a teenager or, you know, a tween um, being held accountable, but you're right. It really sets up for our expectations as we get older. And, and so, you know, where you went in that story um, or the other story you talked about with Vince Lombardi is that he, he talked about love with his players. And I mean, the Green Bay Packers, best football team ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't care what anyone else says. Um, but, you know, bringing this notion of love and, and people hold you accountable because they, you know, because they love you. If we were to look at that at work, to go around and say, oh, I love you and, and say that to everybody in your workplace, can you just distinguish how love and accountability intercede at work yeah so th- th- they need to understand what love means and, and I, what i found out is most people don't understand the word love and what they think there's only one meaning behind love and it normally means romantic love or my family love those two right. things but if you really look into the greek science of where love comes from there's actually five and, and they're right with yeah there's romantic love of course then the second one's going to be your family love, you know, individual. But then there's three other ones. These are the important ones. And this is where people um, are, need to understand is the humanity, helping other people. Right. Why does, yeah, when, when someone enters a bus and they tend to be a little older and so forth, or they may need to sit down and you're already sitting down, why do you get up to give them your chair? Mm. Or, you know, someone's at the airport and they can't get that, that luggage in the overhead bin, but you stand up really quick and you help them. Or all of a sudden you see somebody in an accident, you help them. Right. You know, you open the door. That's love for humanity. That's so that's what we do every day. And that's something I do. And I know you you do. You have a book that that's pretty much you're helping so many other people with the rules of engagement. Well, and, and what so and I mean, I think it's so great the way you describe that is this helping humanity and bringing your heart to what you do. And so often we get hung up in our head or we've been rewarded for the logic and the, you know, the way our brain thinks. We use our hands to do the work and we can forget about how important the heart is uh, in all of this. And so, you know, coming from a place of care and concern um, is so important but it also doesn't happen as often as we would like, which is why people like you and I and Carrie and others write books about um, creating great workplace cultures. In your experience, Hernani, what what stops the heart from um, stops people from bringing their heart into uh, into into the workplace and into being accountable? Yeah. So. So most people do bring it into the workplace. They, they bring it in, but then it just gets cut up, cut out. And what happens to a human once you cut their heart? They're, they're done, right? That nothing exists anymore. 
And yeah. I know we, we talked about using your hands and so forth. You can still cut your hand. You can still use the other one. But once your heart goes, that's it. And I think we've gotten society now where it's all about the output. It's all about getting numbers. And, and it's all about, and I hear this term, high-performance culture. Let's have a high-performance culture. Well, high-performance right. culture will not exist if you don't have accountability and something that has a strong heart and, and where your team understands the purpose of why this company exists, the values of how you're going to act, and it just won't, it won't exist. And that's why when you do your surveys, you're seeing the word accountability come in there because that's the first thing that people tend to cut because they feel it's tough. Right. It's, uh, it's tough love. It is. And you talk to Vince. Well, if you would have talked to Vince Lombardi or yeah. you even talked to people that worked with him, they said he was a pain in the butt. This guy yeah. was hard. He made me extra work, but he made me successful. Right. See, Vince, Vince didn't care about making you happy. He cared about making you successful first. And once you become successful, that's where happiness starts to come. And, and I see that with a lot of parents. They're so concerned about being their their yes, kids, the friends, the friends, and once they're friends, what happens? Yep. You lose yep. accountability, and then all of a sudden, guess what? Your your child or whatever ends up going out, and they start getting into gangs because they're they're trying to find somewhere else they can go get into. But if you bring that accountability, you bring that tough love, and you show them exactly where they're at, and you support it. And when I say accountability, I'm talking about the three P's. Yeah, let's, let's let's go into that because I know okay. in your in your book you talk about those three P's and you know in in my experience whenever we see accountability come up, it often it so this is Carolyn's interpretation, but it often means like uh, I'm not really buying into this thing, so I need somebody else to tell me what to do. So there's there's um. A piece there that I've seen, and so when I when I was reading your book and and the three P's of accountability, um, you know, personal, positive, and performance, and I know they go in order. Uh, there was really a lot there, and and I think it was um, it was such a great way of deconstructing what accountability means because it's really a loaded word. So can you explain, go into each of those three P's and why the order is the way it is? Excellent. Yeah. So when, when you hear accountability, most people in their mind, they normally have this vision of a stick, you know, someone getting written up, yeah. someone getting documented, somebody getting fired or a paper trail and so forth. And, and there is, and that, that's in reality, that's what it is when, when you hear it in most workplaces. Once they understand balanced accountability, the first, and you do have to do these in order because that's what I learned through my career and others that I have trained and so forth. If you don't do this in order, it's short term and then it goes away. Right. If you do this in order, it becomes a career, and then all of a sudden, you start becoming mentors for your team, and they're going to follow you wherever you go. They're going to follow you to the top. And uh, it's, So the first one's personal, and that's what happened to me at, at the Stockton store that I shared with you at the beginning. I had to self-reflect and go, I'm not as good as I thought I was, and I need to find a way to make improvement to myself, and I need to listen to my staff. Mm. Most leaders – actually – Leaders will listen to the staff. Most managers will not. Mm, you know, managers, right. it's all a, this is what you got to do. They're going to micromanage you. Don't talk to me. You know, this is what you, you have no idea what you're talking about. Go, just go get this done. And a yeah, like why, why aren't they listening? Um, so that's a great distinction between managers and, and leaders. In your experience, what's getting in the way of managers listening and, and really taking that personal accountability? Pride. Mm. A lot of pride. A, a lot of it is you haven't been properly trained because that was my challenge early on. Um, I just watched other people and I thought, well, as a manager, you just got to get in there and you just got to bark, 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 bark. Right. And they got to do what it is. And if they don't, you got to kick them out. 
And I realized that short-term goals, that's short-term thinking. Mm -hmm. As a leader, it's more long-term. And that's where you you start really creating that strong culture where you're open-minded. And and I learned early early on is my idea is not the best one. I can, Mm -hmm. my idea is there to kind of start it. But the best idea is when you get your team to collaborate around that idea, they add their feedback. And once they add their feedback, you've just changed ownerships. And that's where you as a leader, you just pass the baton of an idea over to your staff and they're going to go run it with and execute. You don't, you really don't have to, you just got to stay out of their way and be a resource because they're going to execute and get the results better than you could have ever gotten. Because right. it's their it's their idea, it's their feedback, it's their input. And so, what are some things um, for our listeners? Maybe one or two things that um, you could share with them to help them understand their level of personal accountability. So, personal accountability number one: uh, the most important person in your life. Think about who that is, and I like them to just take a moment and really think. And, and many times, there's like four or five people that pop up in their mind, or maybe two. There might only be one. And I'm going to tell them the most important person in their life is them. There is nobody Mm -hmm. else more important in in their life than them. They can't help whatever that image, that person that they thought of, they can't help that person unless they fix themselves first. And we're not, we're not perfect and we have to be open-minded. And many times we have to get feedback from others of how we can make improvements and be open to feedback. Yeah. It's uh, love yourself first. It's beautiful. Beautiful. And so in in it, I I can imagine, I know you talked about this in the book too. When you ask people that question, there's a whole list of everyone else. um, And rarely, I'm guessing you see people put themselves first because we're kind of trained to think that that's thinking a little bit too much of ourselves or being conceited. Yeah, it is. So, so I've got this, you know, exercise that's in the book, share with everybody here and you probably read it, but it's, I have them take the hit. This is the very first thing you have to do is take the hit. And in there, I talk about Steve Young. Right. I'm a 49er fan. Sorry, oh, Carolyn. That's okay. So I, that's okay. I respect. So, I liked Steve Young when he was playing. He was good. Yeah. He was good. Uh, and uh, yeah. So, so my second, one of my second, second, third favorite team is going to be Green Bay. I just love their their history and everything they've done. So no question. But kind of going back to Steve Young, he threw 202 interceptions in his time. 202. And you start thinking, that's a lot of mistakes. Yeah. And every time he did that, what happens? The, the, his offensive line looks at him like, are you crazy? What's going on? His receivers are going, what's going on? He's got like thousands of fans, millions of people on TV going, Steve, probably yelling at him, cussing, all this stuff, right? Yeah. He's got to take the hit. And, and that's what he would do is he would take the hit. Even if the receiver ran the wrong route or the offensive line let the person go through or the coach called the wrong play. Steve took the hit. He right. says it was my fault. I had the ball and I should have done something different with it. Yep. And he brings everybody to the sideline and he would tell them, sorry guys, I learned a lot on that play. Let's, uh, what else could we have done? He asked for feedback and, and staff will get feedback. His receivers will get feedback so forth. Many times they would go back out and run the exact same play right after that. And they would oh, get wow. a different outcome. So it's like, we screwed that one up. They're not expecting us to run the same play again. Let's just do it. And we know what to do. I didn't, and, uh, I didn't, I didn't realize that they would go back and run the same play. Um, so that sort of like rewires the brain to think, oh, that play's not going to work. And now you do it again and realize, yeah, it does. Absolutely. And that's where you've got to, you got to make some improvements. Yeah. You've got to reflect, debrief. And there was some things that were wrong on the last time we ran it, but what could we do differently? And then let's go do it again. 
Right. And many times that's where he starts building the confidence with the team. He would take the hit, even if it was someone else's and his team rallied around him. And uh, that's where he ended up winning MVP and winning some Super Bowls. And it was always around the team. So yeah, big fan of, of that. And that's as a leader, you have to do the same thing. Yeah. You got to just take the hit. So and this is where I, I've coached leaders is you just go into the, you call a meeting and you go to wherever that meeting is. And you just take that say, you know, I have not been the leader that I should be for all of you. And I'd like to get your feedback on how I can improve. How do you help leaders get that vulnerable and be able to go in and do that? Cause that's uh, they have to, they have to really um, put their ego down to do that. They do. And I always ask them, so the way you've been doing things to now, how's that working for you? Yeah. And uh, many times it's not so good. I'm like, you may want to try this proven method. Right. And give that a chance because at this point now you have not much to lose because you're miserable. You're you're going home upset. Your team's not wanting to be on your team. You're having turnover. You're missing deadlines. You're about to get fired if you keep going this route. Right. So why don't you try something different? Just go and take the hit. Pull a Steve Young. Yeah. So great. And they so do. That, so that's P1. Like that's the first level of, of personal accountability. So they do that. Where do you take them next? What's the second level of accountability? Second level is going to be positive, but I just I wanted to go back to the uh, oh, the other one first. Really, oh no, no problem, because it's a tough thing to do when you stand in front of your team and, and you ask for them for feedback. Right. And, and all you're doing is you're asking them, is what would you like me to do more of and less of? That's it. Yes, those two things. And guess what? Your staff understands love. They understand helping humanity. They want to help you. And you're going to be blown away how much your staff's going to really give you some good feedback. And this is where you got to listen, not argue with it, then take it and go do do something and execute and show them that you're actually listening and getting results. So that's, that's pretty, kind of the first thing. Yeah, that's a pretty simple thing to do. Very simple, but yeah. it's it's, a, it's intimidating. Yeah, well, and, yeah, because uh, again, the ego has to the ego has to be pushed aside. Um, so yeah, so that's great. So that's the foundation, right? So let's just remind yeah. everyone: like, you don't go any like that's like that's the base foundation of accountability in your book, correct? Correct, and that's where I spent most of my time at the beginning because you've really got to get that concrete, that foundation, right. personal accountability. And then we go to number two that that you're uh, asking about there, which is perfect lead on. Right. And that, and so that is, um, so I know I was really drawn to this one because it's about creating a, a work environment. And so what does the second P stand for? Positive accountability. Right. And that's, that's where people are like, that, that's not really accountability, positive. I mean, it should be negative accountability. Like, if you do it right, it's positive accountability. And this is where you come in and start catching people doing things right. Right. And really starting to magnify it. And I like to use my own... I, I tend to be very vulnerable in the book. As you saw, I, I, I share a lot of personal stories. And so I got one story. I, I got my family to sign off on and my, my kids. So I could share that with you. Uh, yeah. And, and so, and that was, that was, uh, so yeah, share it with us. So my, my daughter, and I, I like to play golf and my daughter's about eight years old and I'm going to the driving range and she sees I'm going, she goes, dad, I'd like to go. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, my daughter wants to play golf. This is going to be awesome. You know, I'm having this fantasy in my mind of, her and I out there playing golf when she grows up and just all this. So I'm like, Oh great, let's go honey. And so I take her there and uh, I start as soon as she got there, I told her how to hold the club, mm. how to swing. I told her about how she should conduct herself, all the manners. I was like, I overcoached her. And then she gets up there and just couldn't hit the ball. Swing swift, you know, swing, nothing. So guess how much fun she had. Yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. 
let's just say it never she she goes dad i don't want the next time i go wait and i go do you want to go no no i don't want to go dad i, I don't think i like golf right she told me right. that i screwed it up for her within 15 minutes at the driving range so and i go maybe she just doesn't like it maybe it's just not for her well i end up Four years later, my, my kids are four years apart. So my son's eight years old. Very similar story. My son wants to go out uh, and hit balls. And so we get there and I go, buddy, this is all you got to do. You're eight years old. You just got to hit the ball eight feet because that's how far you're supposed to hit it when you're eight. And uh, you just grab it. However way you want to grab it and just swing, you know, just kind of line up this way and just swing. After a couple of swings, he started hitting the ball and it started going nine, ten feet. Some of them would go like maybe 20 feet. We would celebrate. We had some high fives. Yeah, were they going all over the place? Yes, he just started, but he was having fun. Yeah. And we get back that night. We do this thing where we go around the, the dinner table and talk about our day. And and my son goes, I loved golfing. I had so much fun with dad. Oh, yeah. That must have sound, That must have felt really great. So clearly you learned about what happened with your daughter. Yeah. And so what was your daughter's reaction to hearing that? She goes, Dad, how come you never take me? Mm. And I'm thinking, well, she was eight. She probably forgot. And I go, I didn't know if you wanted to go. She goes, oh, I want to go. I'm like, let's go tomorrow. And it was the next day. And I did the exact same thing with her. She's 12 years old at the time. It was four years later. And uh, to this day, uh, she ended up making the varsity team as a freshman. She's wow. a, one of the top golfers in the in the whole league. Uh, she's playing tournaments. She shot a 74. Wow. She just so. She knows how to play golf. She's way better than dad. And I almost screwed it up for her because I didn't have that positive accountability and really just celebrating some of these small wins early on. Right, right. And I know you also talked in the book about um, words and, and being very mindful with using positive words. And, uh, you know, I can certainly um, appreciate that and, and relate to that as well. So, you know, there's a lot of power in choosing to be positive um, and creating that space and work environment for others around you. Absolutely. If, for, for example, just one simple word that I don't use in my vocabulary. I like, I've, I've got rid of it because it just tends to get people in the wrong mindset is the word change. Mm. As soon as I say, we're going to change this, what do they think? You know, yeah. like, oh, like, oh, we're going to screw this yeah. up. But if you really think about what that word is, it means improvements. Right. That's why we're changing. We're trying to make improvements. Right. So and I, I learned this on, I went into a, a, a group of 500 about salespeople. And I, I went in there and I told them, we're going to be changing your pay. And it was actually for the better. We had a whole bonus program. So we're, guess what? It's, they didn't care. They were so upset that I was changing their pay. They didn't listen to me about talking about the benefits. So when we rolled it out to them, the outcome was horrible. Yeah. Well, I had I went to another geography, and, uh, and that one had about 500 as well. I went in there, and I learned that change is not that word I should use, and I changed it to we're going to be making improvements to your pay. Oh, my and guess what happened there? So different, so different. Way different. That was yeah. it. It was okay. What are you What are you getting rid of? And how are you making improvements? And show me. Yeah. And we shot that group right there. That was my first A B test, and going. I'm never using that word again because it, it does tend to turn off. Even to this day with my kids, I use the word improvements and I just don't use change because it just it sends a bad message. It triggers, you're yeah. playing defense right away. Yeah. Do you know what word I that I choose not to use? Um, and it's it's the word should. Oh yeah. And I've I've actually joke with the with the boys and I say you know it's uh, should is a swear word. 
uh, it's the S word. Um, but yeah, my experience when you remove should, um, it just takes away the shame and blame that, that can be felt by people. So, and I notice it, it's happened. It happens a lot in meetings. Well, you know, you should do this or you should do that. Um, and it just holds a lot of heaviness. So that's a word that I've tried really hard to remove. I, you know, use the word could or ask a different question. How might we do it this way? Um, so yeah. Yeah. No, you're right on. Yeah. I think we have like, even the word like why I try not to say why, why did you do this? Yeah. Cause it can sound really accusatory, right? Oh yeah. Right away. You you say that to a teenage daughter Yeah. and that's like, (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's, it's not good. So I just say, honey, how did you come up with that? Yeah. It's the same thing. Now she's talking to me and we're, it's, it's two-sided and and I've learned that with, with employees as well. Because when you say why, they feel like they're in trouble. Yeah. And when you say how, can you just tell me how you came up with that? Exactly. Well, and that's really tapping into a level of curiosity, right? And saying, yeah, I'm curious Mm -hmm. to learn more as opposed to, you know, being demanding. Excellent. You're right on. So what was the, what's the last, uh, the last P? So we've got personal positive and the last one is what? This is where most people, most manager leaders want to get to right away. And they always want to go straight to the book and they can mm. go to this. It's performance. Right. Okay, great. Great. All that other stuff's fluffy stuff, but I can tell you it's short-lived if you go just to performance. Performance accountability is the outcome. This is why we do what we're doing. We're always yep. trying to make better and improve our performance. And it's performance accountability. And how that works is really making sure the leader has given the the person that they're working with, all the tools to make improvements. And then also just finding a way that they can make it a visual scoreboard. And I'm mm. going to go back to football since we've been kind of talking about it. Yep. If you go to the Green Bay Packers versus the 49ers game, you're going to see up there on the score on the scoreboard, it's going to say how much time's left on the clock, right. how many points have been scored, right? And then you can look up any stat you want. You can find out what the quarterback's doing, Aaron Rodgers. You can find out. What's going on? You have all these stats right there in front of you, and it it's it's a visual scoreboard, and that really happens with the workplace as well. Is many times we try to hide that because we're we don't want everybody to see if you're not performing well. But on the flip side, you could really magnify the person that is doing well and showing everybody else what the opportunity is if you put more time and effort into learning whatever the sales process or. We've done this with HR improvements. We've done it with safety records improvements. There's so much you can do once you make it a visual scoreboard. And, and your bottom performers are going to see it, and they're going to like, I need help. And they'll right. only come to you like, I want to become like you know, so-and-so. I want to get up there. Now they're open to you coaching them, getting the results, and right. really celebrating those small wins. Because you've already laid the groundwork with um... – being, you know, that the positive environment and, and having that built that trust through the personal connection and such. So I can, I can certainly see how performance is, is going to improve when you've got those other two elements already foundation, like they're, they're, they're the foundational piece. Right on. And then once you have that, I didn't really put it in the book. I think it's probably gonna be the next one because I'm starting to see this with organizations that I'm working with. And when I asked for survey response, like, how did it go when you adopted balanced accountability and so forth? And it's been unanimous. And they've, they've given me the fourth P. So you're actually the first person I'm going to talk about. The fourth <gasps> wow. P. All right. It? So what is this the fourth is P? Special treat. Peer-to-peer accountability. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. It just happens. And once you start having peer-to-peer accountability, it's magical. There is. It's just something that you can't even hold back. You, you can't get in the way. And that's where you start really developing your company. And that's where you just start seeing and just taking big leaps forward. And how did that one come out for you? Like, what were you hearing from your clients that tapped into that? 
it started, I was like, how's it going? You know, you, you, you've had a chance. It takes a few months to get it adopted and get your team. You got to show them the proof because if you don't show your team the proof, they think it's just the, the, the flavor of the week and they think it's going to go away. But once they know balance accountability is here to stay, you ask them, so how much more time do you have to put in this? And normally they go, you know, not much. It's just kind of ironic. Like we'll be in a meeting and my own team will hold each other accountable. There's not much I need to do. Right. And that's where that peer to peer accountability comes in. And like all you have to do is just kind of start the conversation and they amongst their team, they feel okay to talk about it. And they right. love talking about accountability and they know accountability equals love. Right. So that's where it becomes magical. Your turnover goes out the window, you start hitting deadlines, you start you start playing offense again with your company versus playing defense. Right. And people are coming to work feeling energized and empowered and like they're contributing to something as opposed to feeling frustrated or demoralized or uninspired. Yeah. And you're going home, you're you're happier, your family's happier because your family knows when things aren't very good at work. And you've got those, you know, you got some energy vampires. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I feel very, I feel very honored, Hernani, that we got to, uh, we got to hear publicly first about the fourth P in, uh, in your four P's now, four P's of accountability. Yeah, no, thank you, Carolyn. You've done such an amazing job. And I, I love which, which, I mean, we feel like we're a mirror image of each other. I know. Exactly what culture should look like. I'm on the East Coast. You're on the West Coast. You like the Niners. I like the Packers. So, you know, there's there's a lot of love for everybody here, isn't there? There is. It is a lot of fun. So, <laughs> so before, before we sign off, where can people um, find your book? Um, are you on social media? How can people connect with you? Yeah. So, balancedaccountability.com. Bring that up. It'll bring you to my website. Um, you can go to Amazon. It's pretty much anywhere uh, the book is sold, a Balanced Accountability, so you can learn more there. I do offer on the on the website free six-question employee report card. This is a this is a report card that your staff fills out for themselves and it gives you a chance to kind of talk to them about some things. And it's very easy, but it, it, it's the very first step where you start winning their hearts. Okay. So that's available. And uh, you've got my my number. It's it's I'm very open with it, and feel free to reach out. And, Great. I love, love hearing back from the public. Yeah, well, that sounds great. And uh, thanks uh, thanks again for making that connection and reaching out. And uh, I, I, um, I feel that there will be more author-like discussions between the two of us because uh, it sounds like you've got a new book in the works or at least bubbling in you. I feel like I've got another one. And uh, I think the more that people like us can share these examples and way forward, we'll continue to bring more accountability, more love into the workplace and, and and make it uh, make it a better place for all. My pleasure, Carolyn. Thank you. Keep leading with your heart. Yes. Uh, I love what you're doing. You too. You too. Thanks to everyone for listening to this episode, and we'll see you next time. about PWE? Well, I'd welcome you to buy my book, Rules of Engagement, Building a Workplace Culture to Thrive in an Uncertain World. I share stories, personal and professional, about different elements of PWE, and it's available on Amazon or on Indigo. Thanks to all of you out there. This is why we do this. This is why we have this conversation. We look forward to being with you again on our next PWE and Me podcast. Now, the best way you can hear us is to subscribe on Spotify, 
or iTunes. And if you don't like either one of those two, you can always go to my website at carolynsuara.com.